Today I want us to turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. Maybe you've got it on your phone, maybe you've got it in your hand. I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning to tell a story. All the way back in Isaiah's day, there was a time when Isaiah looked upon the nation of Israel and he saw that the nation of Israel had slipped far from God. And they had come under the, the, the judgment of our God. And Isaiah comes here in this passage of Scripture and he prays a, a wonderful prayer. A prayer for a nation. Today I want to share with you praying for a nation that stands in need of revival. We as a nation today are standing in need of a great revival before the Lord. Isaiah chapter 63 starting in verse 18 and I want to read all the way to chapter 65 verse 8. And it says, The people of the, thy holiness have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down thy sanctuary. We are thine, and thou never bearest rule over them. They are not called by thy name. Oh, that thou would have rent the heavens, and that thou would have come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. And when the melting of the fire burneth, the fire causes the water to boil to make thy name known to the, thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst ter terrible things which uh, we looked not for, thou cometh down the mountain, flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world man has not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither has I seen, O God, beside thee what he has prepared for them that waiteth for him. Thou meeteth him and rejoicest and worketh righteousness, though they remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned in those in our countenance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as unclean things, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind has taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon the name that stirred up thyself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and thou hast consumed us. Behold, because of our iniquity. But now, O Lord, thou art Father, we are the clay, and thou art the potter, and we are all thy work of thy hands. Be not wroth, very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity be, uh, forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. The holy cities are the wilderness, Zion is wilderness, Jerusalem is desolation. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praise thee, is burned up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain, refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I have spread out my hands in the days unto the rebellious people which walked in the way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger and continually to my face that sacrificed in the gardens, and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves, and lodged in the mountains, which eat swine's flesh, 
and broth of the abominable things in which in these their vessels, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. There are they smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but I will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquity and the iniquity of thy fathers, together saith the Lord, which has burned incense upon the mountain and blaspheming upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work unto their bosom. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, the one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. May the Lord add His blessing to His word this morning. And as I share with you this morning, that we need to be praying for a nation that stands in revival. Let me just share with you what I thought of this week as I was thinking about the fact that the weather was turning a little nicer and springtime brings many things to mind. Brings many things to our sights as we've seen the flowers begin to bloom and the trees begin to bud and we've seen uh, uh, the things that have taken place. We see the grass begin to grow again. And I'm reminded of revivals. As a matter of fact, last month I, I, I was scheduled to preach a revival but Due to the virus, it was canceled. But we still stand in need of revival. Not a man-made revival. Not a revival that is, is just instituted by man through a calendar of events. But a revival that has come down from heaven. A revival that, that God sends upon His people. Church, we're standing in a place where we are familiar to what the prophet Isaiah was going through long ago. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1 indicates that Isaiah preached uh, these prophetic messages contained in the book during the reign of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. The years that covered are from 70, four, or 740 B.C. to 701 B.C. And we must remind ourselves that during this time frame, it puts in the midst of the fact that during this time, the nation of Israel was considered a divided nation, so much like America today. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. In fact, even though Isaiah's prophecy is focused on Judah in the south, the fall of the northern kingdom would have happened during his ministry. Judah faced extinction at the hands of the cruel Assyrians. And this cruel hour, the national emergency that Isaiah saw, God stands or sends Isaiah, a unique man, with an unpleasant message to a people. The nation of Judah is rotting to the core and ripe for judgment. Her habitual sin, her idolatry, her hypocrisy, her injustice, the corruptness has not escaped the notice of our holy God. His righteous wrath will soon fall upon the king um, all the way down to the commoners that they might learn that the Almighty, the Lord God, cannot and will not be mocked. As we read through chapter 63 through 65, we might come to the place of understanding that this is the hope and the prayer 
of, for a nation that stands in need of revival. This portion that we have read this morning, it is a prayer that Isaiah prayed, a prayer that we can use as a guide today for our own lives, for our own nation, as we stand in the gap for them. We too as a nation stand in need of revival. Here is our only hope and prayer for our nation today. I want you to see four principles to guide us in praying for true revival. First of all, we must recognize the desperation of our situation. In Isaiah chapter 63 and verses 18 and 19, the people of thy holiness have possessed it but for a little while. Our adversaries have trodden down our sanctuaries. We are thine, and thou had never beareth rule over them. They were not called by thy name. Isaiah addressed the desperation of the situation in Isaiah's day. Israel was a nation in trouble. I stand before you today to tell you that America is a nation that stands in trouble. We are spiritually in trouble, my friends. God is trying to get our attention to show us what is taking place. We think about the, the, the thing that has happened across our world in this pandemic that has come to our land. The fact that our economy has been shut down. We have been told to stay home. Jobs have, have been lost. And there is a great need among our nation. Um, I, I heard a couple of times this week that uh, one of the greatest losses to so many Americans today is not the jobs nor the economy, but the fact that we don't have sports. My friends, that shows us how bad that we have placed an idolatry upon things that should not be. We're not crying out that, that we are missing our God, but we're crying out that we're missing our sports, that we're missing the, the, the activities that we want in our life. My friends, Isaiah tells us that we need to come to the place where we see the desperation of our situation. Isaiah's tone is re, re, uh, reminds us of what the psalmist's tone was as he revealed this in Psalms 42. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 42, verses 1 through 3. As the heart paineth after the water brook, so paineth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. My tears have been made my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? My fear is that we uh, do not desire revival enough in order for God to truly send us the revival that we need. We must become desperate in our situation. We must recognize that we are in great need before the Lord. And we need to see the desperation of our situation. The virus has caused some inconvenience. The virus has even caused some difficulties. And for some, they may even say that it's been very painful. But I wonder, what will cause us to truly be desperate before the Lord? The reason for the psalmist's desperation is apparent. He says, there is an absence of God. While they say to me all day long, where is thy God? This must indicate the mockery of the watching world. Doesn't the world today ask the same question of us as Christians? Well, where is your God when you need Him? 
Where was he during this time of tragedy? Where was he during this time of calamity? Where was he during this time of hardship in your life? The world is asking the question, but listen, we're not giving the right answer. Listen to me, my friends. We're giving excuses instead of showing the presence of the Lord. My friends, listen. What we seem to be telling the world is, we say, well, we don't have all the evidence yet. Well, God will show up eventually. Maybe at some point He will be seen. Or we might say, well, God just doesn't work the way that He used to work back in the olden days. We might also say, well, people just don't respond to God the way that they did years ago. As long as you and I continue to make excuses, as long as we continue to uh, come up with an excuse why we don't have the presence of God, there will be no agonizing. There will be no desperation over the absence of God in our life. We must come to the place where we say, God, unless you show up, there is no hope. There is no way. There is absolutely no way I can do this without God's presence upon me. Now, my friends, that's true desperation. The kind of desperation that leads us to tears so that the tears become our food day and night. Consider what happened when God sent to a, a nation called Nineveh a preacher who said, God's sick and tired of the way that you've been living. God's sick and tired of the way that you've been treating Him. God's sick and tired of the way that you've been uh, doing your thing and not His thing. And judgment is about to come upon you. I find these words in Jonah chapter chapter 3 and verse 5 through 10. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the throne, and he laid his robe from him. He covered him with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and the nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let him not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God, who will turn away and repent and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works, and he turned from their evil ways. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. As we look at the condition of our nation today, I think of the nation of Nineveh. I think of uh, the nation of Israel. And I think of the fact that we today, the things that we are doing as a nation, the things that God is so displeased with, but I take it to the place where the Scripture says that it's not just a nation. We can't point our finger at someone else. We must recognize that it is we, the church, that are not doing what God wants us to do. Isaiah says, they were a people that you had not called, but we were a people who knew your name, and yet we are not doing what you've called us to do. 
church, it's time that we recognize we cannot blame the world for what the church is not living up to. We are not being obedient to the scripture. We're not living the way that God has called us to live. And church, this virus ought to be a reminder that God is trying to get our attention. It's time for us to open our spiritual ears and cry out to God and say, I'm here, O Lord. Your servant listens. And then we must pray. As we look at the condition of our nation today, we need to conclude as well. If we are not desperate enough now to cry out to God for revival, my friends, what will it take? What will it take for you and I as God's children to recognize that God is trying to get our attention? It's time for us to wake up and hear that God says we're living in desperate times. Not because of the virus. Not because of the economical crash. Not because there's no sports on TV. But because we're spiritually dying. And we need God's help. And we need Him to show up. The second thing that we need to do as we're praying for a nation that is in need of revival. Not only are we to understand the desperate need that I stand in. It's not my brother, my sister, oh Lord, but it's me that stands in need of prayer. We need to recognize the definition of revival. My friends, I'm afraid that over the years that we have, we have watered down the definition of what revival is. We've said if there is a service that we can have where we can call in a guest preacher, where we can have some guest singers, where we can just come together and say we have met on some other night besides Sunday or Wednesday, then we must have had revival because church people showed up. Listen, my friends, we need to understand what does the Bible say is the definition of revival. Let's go to what the Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 64. Look at what Isaiah says here in verses 1 through 4. We cannot pray that which we do not know. So we need a definition for revival. And here, there are many definitions for revival. But I am stuck on the imagery that is found here in verses 1 through 4. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens, and that thou would have come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causes the water to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tr uh, tremble at thy presence. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, man has not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither that the eye has seen, O God, besides thee that thou hast prepared for him that waiteth for him. I think today that we might get the simplest definition from revival from this particular passage of Scripture. And let me just give it to you. Revival is God coming down. It is not man doing something and saying, God, here we are. It is God rending the heavens and sending His Spirit down upon us so that we might experience Him afresh and anew. It is God coming into our midst. It is God showing up again. Church, it's time that we say, God, if you don't show up, there's no sense of us showing up. It's time for us to recognize that we need a revival that comes from heaven above, not something that man packages through a sermon or a song. 
This is the picture that we see throughout the Old Testament. We find that with Moses, when God visited him in the burning bush, that is a picture we see in the incarnation of Jesus. That is the picture we see in the coming down of the Holy Spirit upon us. It is a figurative sense that we need the heavens to open and God to come down and visit with His people once again. Here's what God has to say in 1 John chapter 1 or chapter 4 verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now listen, what I what I think God wants us to hear is that we have been listening to false prophets. Oh, you've had revival. Oh, there's been a great movement of God. But no lives have been changed. The church is still living in the same way. We're still doing the same sin day after day. Listen, my friends, we have not tested the spirits. We've listened to the world. And we think we're revived when we're dying. It's time that we say, God, unless you show up, and my life changes and I live better I do better I'm no longer living in the same sinful condition but I have repented of it and turned away from it that's when revival comes when God changes the lives of his people it's time that we recognize that we need a revival that not goes up but one that comes down we cannot accept any longer the false substitutes of revival Revival is not a great service. It's not a spiritual feeling. It's not an emotional movement. It is heaven sent. It is God's Spirit coming upon us where our lives are changed forever. Revival is Isaiah hearing as Isaiah chapter 6 says, the angels saying to one another in verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of His glory. Revival is Isaiah then responding to God in verse 5 when he said, I, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Revival in, is Isaiah then hearing the Lord say in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And revival is Isaiah saying, Here am I, Lord, send me. My friends, if we want revival, we must hear from God. We must hear from heaven. And then we must respond in obedience. Revival is not just coming and raising our hands and shouting and, and, and praising. Our, uh, if we don't go home and do things differently, we have no more been revived than the man in the moon. It's time that we recognize, my friends, that revival only comes from God. D. Martin Lord jo Lloyd Jones wrote this so long ago. When did the last time you hear anyone praying for revival? Praying that God might open the windows of heaven and pour out His Spirit. When God sends revival, we can, He can do more in one single day than man can do in 50 years of all of His organization. That is a ver verdict of sheer history. 
which emerges clearly as a long history of the church. My friends, we as a church have experienced great revivals, great movements of God. But there's been a lot of times that we have said to ourselves, oh, we're going to plan a service. We're going to have revival come March whatever, or April, or June, or July. But if God doesn't show up, we haven't had revival, my friends. We just had a series of meetings where God was not even perhaps present. We need not only to understand that we are living in a desperate situation, we need to understand the definition of revival is not what man can do for God, but it is when God comes down from heaven and visits His people. When we're praying for revival, a nation that stands in need of revival, we need to recognize the demand for repentance. My friends, I want you to understand that if there is no repentance, there's no revival. Because the Bible is very clear that says that all of us are sinful. All of us are in need of God's help. No matter where we are spiritually, there's always something that we need to work on in our life. The Apostle Paul said it like this, Not that I've obtained already, meaning that there are still things even after all my years, there are still things that, that I stand before God in need of work on. Not that I've obtained already, but that I continue to strive. That every time God reveals sin in my life, I strive to do what God wants me to do and not what my flesh wants me to do. Now folks, listen, we need to recognize the demand for repentance. Isaiah chapter 64, verses 5 through 8. Let me read it to you again. The meeting, thou meeting him, or meeteth him that rejoices and work righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned, and those is continuance, and we shall be saved, but we all have all as an unclean thing, and all of our unrighteousness is as filthy rags, and we do not fade as a leaf, and as our iniquity like the wind has taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon the name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and thou hast consumed us because of our iniquity. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay, and thou art the potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. My friends, here is the hard truth. We will never experience revival until we first experience repentance. Revival without repentance is nothing. It cannot be. A.W. Tozer said it like this, as he hit it on the, uh, the nail on the head when he wrote this over 60 years ago. Have you noticed how much praying for revival is going on of late? And how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we've been trying to substitute praying for obedience. Listen, my friends, it's important to pray for revival. But when revival shows up, there has to be an act of repentance that leads to an act of obedience. Our first task in search of our hearts is to repent of our sins. The prophet Joel wrote this in chapter 2 in verses 12 through 13. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, 
and with all fasting and with weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is grievous and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of, of the evil I'm reminded of David's prayer in Psalms 51 in Psalms 51 uh, verse 17 the sacrifice of God a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God that thou will not despise if we're going to see a heaven sent revival if we're going to see God come down upon us if we're going to see God visit his church in the way that he wants to again we must come to the place of repentance we must come to the place uh, as a church where we recognize that we have sinned against God. That I have sinned against God. That we as a nation have sinned against God. I was reminded in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was praying for the nation of Israel after they had found themselves devastated by uh, uh, Babylon. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, let thine ear now be attentive. Again, Nehemiah is praying unto the Lord. And thine eyes open that thou may hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Until we come to the place, O oh Lord, where we say to God, I have sinned and my house have sinned. We have sinned as a church. We have sinned as a nation. We have fallen away from God. We have taken on the acts of the world. We're living like the world instead of living like the Word. It's time that we recognize God has given us this Word not to carry around, but to read and to replace our old sinful ways with His new righteous ways. The Bible tells us that we must first search our hearts. Church, today, what is God revealing to you that needs to get taken away? What needs to be removed in your life? What things need to change? If you want to experience heaven-sent revival, if you want to know that, that God is wanting to visit His people once again, what are you willing to change in your life? What are you willing to do so that repentance will make uh, obedience in our life? This must be the prayer of our heart for revival. It's not fun, but it must be done. The last point that I want to make to you today is not only do we need to know the desperate need, not only do we need to understand the true definition of heaven-sent revival, God comes down upon us. Not only do we need to experience a repentance, a confessing of our sins, but be reminded that 1 John 1.9 says that when we confess, that's when God shows up. When we confess our sins, He, God, who is faithful and just, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last point that I want to make today is that we need to reevaluate the desire for revival. Church, it's time that we reevaluate. Do we really want revival? Are we really willing to do what it takes to get revival?
Or is it just easier for us to talk about it, but not do anything about it? The Lord answered Isaiah as uh, revealed in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 1. The Lord simply is saying to Isaiah as He is saying to us today, Here I am. Where are you? Where are you in your life? Where are you in your desire for revival? Where are you in your walk with Christ? Where are you when it comes to standing up for your faith? Where are you when it comes to living out His Word so that the world around us sees God in and through us once again? Here am I, the Lord says. Where are you? Leonard Ravenhill, the author of Why Revival Tarries, made this statement. The only reason that we don't experience revival is because we're not willing to live without it. You see, because we're willing to live without revival, we'll go on and say, we'll just continue to live the way we are and figure that we'll get revived when we get home. R.A. Torrey said it like this, I have a theory that there is not a church, a chapel, or a mission on earth where you cannot have revival provided there is a little nucleus of faithful people who will hold on to God until He comes down. First, let a few Christians there see the need. They don't need to be many. Get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. This is not done the rest, I'm sorry to say, cannot be done. And nothing will come of it. Second, he says, let them bind themselves together in prayer for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, Tory says, let them put themselves at the disposal of God to use them as He sees fit, winning others to Christ. That's all. This is a sure thing to begin revival in any church or any community. Tory said, I have given this uh, prescription among, around the world and has been taken by many churches and many communities. And in no instance, when followed the directions, has it ever failed to produce results. My friends, let me reevaluate. Let me reevaluate the issue of revival. Do we really want it? Do we really see a nation in need of revival? Every time I turn on the news, every time I look around our communities, I see people doing their own things and doing opposite of what God is doing. I don't see a desire. I don't see a hunger. I don't see um, people living as if uh, they have no other thing important to them but God. I believe that we need a revival. The question that I cannot answer for you, the question I can only answer for myself, is do I really want revival? For the last four years, on Tuesday mornings at 8 o'clock, I've opened the doors of this church for pastors and lay people to come and to pray. To pray specifically for revival. 
to ask them to cry out to God that He might see fit for heaven to come down and join us and visit with us that revival might start in this little corner of North Carolina between Tennessee and Virginia in the little hick town of West Jefferson. I believe that God can show up. I believe that we can do what is right. I believe that if we will believe and pray and seek God's face that He will come down and He will visit His people. Let me close with a story. I want to end by sharing two calls to prayer. One from the 19th century and tell you about the results that it brought. And then, I want to leave you with a 21st century call to prayer and ask you, do you want to be a part of the results that God may bring? This is a record of something that God did 130 years ago in New York City. The second is something that God wants to do on May the 5th. This May the 5th, next Tuesday. Listen as I read this first story and then listen to the testimony of the next story. God had started to do a work in New York City. A harvest in a time of history. Though through a consecrated time of prayer. Towards the middle of the 19th century, the glow of the early religious awakening had faded. America was prosperous again and felt little need to God to call upon God. But in the 1850, secular and religious conditions combined to bring about a crash. The third great panic in America's history swept the, the giddy structure of speculative wealth away. Thousands of merchants were forced to the wall as banks failed, railroads went into bankruptcy, factories were shut down, and vast numbers were thrown out of employment. New York City alone, having 30,000 idle men, in October of 1857, the hearts of the people were thoroughly weaned from speculation and the uncertain gain, while hunger and despair stirred among their face. On 1st July 1857, a quiet and zealous businessman named Jeremiah Lampier took an appointment as a city missionary to downtown New York. Lampier was appointed by the North Church of the Dutch Reformed denomination. This church was suffering from a depletion of membership due to the removal of the population from the downtown area to better residential quarters. And the new city mission was engaged to make a diligent visitation in the immediate neighborhoods that while to enlist the church attendance among the floating population of the lower city. The Dutch conservatory felt that it had appointed an ideal layman for the task at hand, and so it was. Burdened so by the need, Jeremiah Lampier decided to invite others to join him in a noonday prayer meeting to be held on Wednesdays once a week. He therefore distributed a handbell, or handbill, and on top of it it said, How often shall I pray? As often as the language of prayer is in my heart, as often as I see the need of help, as often as I feel the power of temptation, 
as often as I am made sensible of any spiritual declinations or feel aggression of a worldly spirit. In prayer, we leave the business of time for that of eternity. In the intercourse with man for the intercourse with God. A day of prayer meeting is held every Wednesday from 12 to 1 o'clock in the conservatory building in the rear of the North Dutch Church in the corner of Fulton and William Street, entrance from the Fulton and Ann Streets. This meeting is intended to give merchants the, the, and mechanics, clerks and strangers and businessmen generally an opportunity to stop and to call upon God amidst the perplexity of the incidents to which their respective avocations. It will continue for one hour, but it is also designed for those who might find it inconvenient to remain for more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare the whole hour. Accordingly, at 12 noon on 23rd September 1857, the doors were open and faithful Lampier stood and took his seat to await the response of his invitation. Five minutes went by, no one appeared. The missionary paced the room in conflict of fear and faith. Twenty minutes, ten minutes elapsed, still no one came. Fifteen minutes passed. Lampier was yet alone. 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then at 12.30 p.m., a step was heard on the stairs. The first person to arrive, and then another, and another, until six persons were present at the prayer meeting, and the meeting began. On the following Wednesday of October the 7th, there were 40 intercessors. Thus, in the first week of October of 1857, it was decided to hold a meeting daily instead of weekly. Within six months, 10,000 businessmen were gathering daily for prayer in New York. And within two years, a million converts were added to the American church. Undoubtedly, the greatest revival in New York's colorful history was sweeping the city in 1857. And it was such an order to make the whole nation curious enough that there was no fanatation, no hysteria, simply an incredible movement of people to pray. In the words of Lampier himself, Lord, thou wilt. What wilt thou? Thou have me to do. The question I'm asking this morning, are there Jeremiah Lampiers among us? Are those that are saying, I am willing to call others to a time of prayer? I'm willing to call those that, that need to come to a time of prayer? The answer to that question is yes. There is a 21st century man calling us as people to prayer. For those of you that are at home, we're having some difficulty playing this next video while we're live streaming. So there should be a... a, a uh, website come up on the screen go to that website watch this 95 year old man by the name of Reverend uh, Lunds, um, Lunsford Reverend Lunsford felt the call of God upon his life to call people to prayer this Tuesday May the 5th he had planned on having it up on the mountain near his house 
But because the virus has struck and people cannot gather together, they have called for us to, to pray. The churches that are backing this have said, well, maybe God intended this to happen, so instead of 200 praying on the mountain, 10,000 could pray. As of Saturday afternoon, when I looked at the website where people were signing up, there was over 121,000 people that said, I have committed to praying on May the 5th, Tuesday, for revival for this nation.